Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Icing Glitter, which is a blog, Instagram page, and YouTube channel. So did you guys do anything for Halloween? I had these grand plans of dressing up this year, but I ended up being what I am basically every other day of the year. Basic bitch having soup on the couch while watching Netflix. It was pretty scary. I mean, I hadn't washed my hair for like a week. Anyway, now that Halloween is over, it's officially Christmas, which means holiday parties. Lots of them. I don't know about you guys, but the feasting is out of control at this time of year. And for me, that means feeling bloated a lot. Good thing is I do have a secret weapon. I use Array's bloat alchemy capsules, which are these all natural filler free capsules that get rid of bloat in under an hour. So if you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I came up with the idea of Array because my friends and I would have an overwhelming amount of conversations about how bloated we felt after brunch. It was super annoying and I was just not having it anymore. But the thing is, it wasn't just bloat that we were complaining about. We'd have conversations about anxiety, getting sick, and just a whole bunch of things that were holding us back from performing at our optimum. So I thought, why not create an all-natural brand that actually solves these problems while being super cute? Not one of those ugly supplements that you just shove to the back of your pantry and forget to take altogether. So Array has really cute packaging, but is also super effective. You can thank our superstar formulator, Dr. Natalie Mulligan, for that. She's been on the show, too. Episode 16. It's a really good one. Anyway, let's talk about today's guest, Rochelle Saville. She's a branding expert and owns a studio called Saville Row. She's worked on launching some pretty cool brands and has relaunched others as well. A lot of you guys are entrepreneurs in the making or are just starting a side hustle, which is why I love chatting with entrepreneurs. They always have such great pieces of advice. Rochelle's story in particular is very cool because she actually left her life in Toronto at, 20 year, at 28 years of age and moved to Paris. She ended up launching her business in her late 20s, which is, I think, a ray of hope to everyone who, say, who says it's quote unquote too late. It's an episode that'll surely inspire you and has lots of nuggets of wisdom, which you can take away and apply to your own business. So with that, let's welcome Rochelle to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, so first things first, tell me about your background. Where'd you go to school? What was your first job? Everything pre-Savile Row. 
Ooh, this is a juicy one. And I feel like I'm being taken back, especially because we're sitting here in Toronto. Yeah. (laughs) I went to school at Humber and the South Campus. There's two campuses for Humber. I took advertising and graphic design. So for me, I was always doing sort of what I'm doing now. It was a two-year program. And so I feel like it was so rushed. I mean, I bear, it was a blur. I can't even, I don't even remember what those two years of my life were like, but I remember really loving design and the creativity process and getting into creating things sort of like mass, mass market really, and being able to tell a story through design. And so from there, I mean, I think we were, um, we were supposed to have an internship through our last year and a lot of people did just very conventional things. And I ended up go, uh, getting into magazines. Mm-hmm. So at Chatelaine, the women's magazine was my very first internship. And from there, it literally was, I was like an editorial junkie. I just worked at four or five different magazines across Toronto. And I feel like that's really where I came into my specialty of layout design and really following suit into sort of more the fashion style kind of side of things. So I feel like, you know, looking back on that now, I could almost equate what I was doing then into how I've formed a lot of my design practices now. I also feel like layout design in particular for magazines are the fundamentals for any sort of good design. Typography is so important and knowing how much of an impact that has in magazines and editorial really makes a difference in um, like the whole design process. So like I said, those few years of school were a complete blur, had to then get an internship and I started working right away. So I was, I think I graduated at 19 I think I was 19 when I graduated it was only a two-year program and then I went straight into the working world so unlike a lot of people who go to university or maybe take a gap year I didn't have that and I feel like and we'll get to this in a second yeah that wanderlust spirit had always been there with me but because I didn't tap into that early on it sort of just stayed and came out later in my 20s so what a story yeah also I feel like Like I can totally tell that you worked at a magazine just even looking at your like Instagram, like everything. It's just like, I don't know. It looks almost like a fashion magazine, you know? Yeah. I've always taken an editorial approach to everything I do. And it's something I think I even resonate with stylistically. So it's where I'd pull most of my inspiration from. And I'm glad that 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 comes through and that resonates because it's definitely something I'm conscious of whenever I'm putting out content or um, things for clients and just making it look High end, making it look glossy. Yeah, you know? super glossy and like super editorial. So speaking of Wanderlust, um, one of the like really cool things about you was the fact that you moved to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people like have this sort of dream, but they never really take the plunge. So could you get into this time of your life? Like what made you decide to move to Paris? Like that's, I mean, there's one thing like, let me backpack across Europe (laughs) or like, just check it out. The Uh. other is like, I'm just going to move. Like what? (laughs) I honestly, I think I asked myself the same question and I remember making the decision. It literally was this, like, I'm just going to move to Paris. And so I think that just feels very surreal in itself. Like I mentioned, I didn't take a year off to travel while I still traveled here and there. I never really had that time for myself. And so I jumped right into work And, you know, had serious relationships and I lived on my own and things like that, which was a great learning experience. 
But I was 28 at the time and I just was in this place that wasn't serving me. I was in a relationship that I no longer felt connected to. I was in a job I hated and I felt like I was just a monkey behind a desk, you know, doing something other people wanted me to do. And I was just at basically, like I said, at this place where I just felt like I really needed an up level and no one else was going to do that for me. I had to do it for myself. So I guess I could have done a quick move like New York or something a little bit closer. New York was a contender actually, but for me, I thought, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't far enough. It wasn't a big enough challenge. I spoke French my whole life. So I think for me, naturally, that was a little bit easier booking a one-way ticket to move to Paris. But I think that was such a strong foundation. It's always been inside. I actually went to Paris for the first time when I was 16. So my 16th birthday, I'm looking at a photo of the Eiffel Tower right now. I was at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And for me, it was just magical. I loved everything about that whole trip. I went back again when I was maybe 25. And then, yeah, then I bought a one-way ticket when I was 28. And really for me, again, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. But for me, it just sort of worked. It just felt so right. And I remember that first morning after I arrived and lugged three hockey bags. I don't even know why I didn't pack a suitcase. I packed <laughs> hockey bags because I was like, oh, I can definitely fit so many things. I think you could also appreciate this. Guess oh how many God. pairs of shoes I brought with me? Wait, tell me. 21. 21? I don't even know. Was it just like the hockey bags were just shoes? One of them was. One of them actually was. And it ranged from like stilettos to wedges to, you know, running shoes. But, you know, Paris is also not a culture where you go and wear like five inch heels. Yeah. You don't do that. So I don't even know what I was thinking, but that's a fun fact. Um, So, you know, I lugged my three hockey bags. And the next morning I woke up and I was like, this feels so right. I just felt so connected with that decision. And honestly, it wasn't a decision I thought about too long. I got the visa. I decided I was going to move and I just did it. I feel if you sit on something a little bit too long, you'll convince yourself so many reasons not to do it, you know? Yeah. And um, I know this you're, you're, This is an obvious question like you're going to ask if I had any plan. And honestly, I didn't. I bought that one-way ticket in November I think I got the visa shortly after that and I moved in January. And so while the decision I think I made in maybe like September, October was when I think I decided, I just put the wheels in motion of just getting the visa, just getting the logistics side figured out. And then I ended up getting an Airbnb for six weeks. So I figured I didn't even know where I wanted to live. I wasn't going to go down the hall, like the hole of looking for an apartment and all that stuff. I found an Airbnb that would get me started. And I just literally showed up and I just got there and I didn't have a job. I didn't know anyone through like putting it out there that I was moving. I had a few people say, oh, you need to meet so-and-so. And I had a couple little like mutual friend connections that I got connected with, but other than that, it was honestly me showing up on my own. Like, bonjour. That's, I'm here. Where are the croissants? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, where did you get your first job there? Like, how did that, like, after you get there, how yeah, did it go? That one's interesting because I was on a working holiday visa. So I had the ability to work anywhere. And I, it was maybe like four, four months that I just honestly wasn't even doing anything. I was doing a little bit of freelance design here and there. And, and as a side note too, I was doing a little bit of freelance design before I moved to Paris. So were your clients in Toronto or yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Toronto, only Toronto. And so at that time it was honestly, I, it's very, very minimal design work that I was doing. Um, I ended up getting, I met a girl through Instagram 
And I met a lot of people through Instagram. It was a really great tool at the time because, again, this was five years ago before Instagram really boomed. And I just reached out to people that I saw were going to the same cafes as me and things like that. So I feel I was really lucky in that instance because now I think, I don't know, people probably still do connect with others on Instagram, but it's less and less likely nowadays than it was five years ago. So as a networking tool, I think I really capitalized on that. So one girl I met and she worked in HR for a chain of restaurants and cafes. And so she ended up getting me a job at one of the one of the restaurants. So I was basically just working a restaurant job and working at this cafe um, while I was just sort of figuring it out. And to be honest, I think it was like a couple months that I just started really wanting to create something for myself that I would still get to be creative. I still love design. I just had no idea how that would fit in. And I was, I think I was thinking too long term, like I need to find a job so I can get a visa and stay here. Whereas I didn't even really consider the opportunity of just running with freelance stuff. And so, yeah, really just kind of like working at a cafe while I was figuring everything else out. And that's sort of where I, I think the biggest thing out of this is that I had the space to figure out what that was. So yes, I had, and again, you know, some of you are probably wondering like, how did you even like afford to go there? I did have a bit of savings. So I had been working, like I said, since I left school and I had money saved. It was, it was a decent nest egg, but I mean, I also spent it within six months of living there. You know, you factor in the exchange rate mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and rent absolutely. and all that stuff. So I, the first few months I wasn't doing much cause I wasn't overly pressed. But then when I started to see my bank account dwindling down, I'm like, okay, this is real. What are we going to do now? So yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of what I was doing to get by, I guess, yeah. um, working at the cafe and then just doing little things here and there for design. I think what's really notable is that you moved when you were 28 years old. Mm. And I think that that is such a valuable lesson because Like people have these dreams and then they're like, oh, it's too late now, you know? And I think like it's, it just proves that like people maybe do these things more often, like in their Mm. early twenties, like Mm -hmm. right out of college or even before college. But I love that you did it when you were at 28 because I think you also had the mental maturity. Yeah, I definitely did. But I also think I was not, I was not willing to risk my life for unhappiness. I was not willing to sit back and let other things dictate what I would do. And I felt that the only way, and I'm not saying it was the, I was, I wasn't running away from anything. I just knew I was meant for so much more. And I didn't feel like at the time of where I was at, you know, being stuck in a routine of living in Toronto, that I could get what I needed from this city. And I just had this feeling that moving away would really help catapult my career in ways I couldn't even imagine. And so it was just call it a gut feeling. It was just an instinct I had to just, yeah, go and leave. And like I said, I was not willing to let my life pass me by and wake up, you know, 40s or whatever and be like, oh, I wish I would have done that. I was not willing to have any regrets like that. I think it's awesome. I think it's so cool. So like obviously so many people can learn from you. So if someone is thinking about moving to a new place, like what are your tips for success? Um, like any any like mm. tangible tips you can give you know I think these days and again being 28 you're perfect in that little sweet spot of a lot of countries offer working holiday visas right Australia actually just expanded theirs to 35 if you're um, Canadian I think there's a few other countries that they do it with used to be 30 but now it's 35 I also find it funny that they say 30 I feel like at 35 you're so much more financially stable than you would be like in your 20s yeah totally so why wouldn't you want someone that could afford to live in a new country but 
being able to take advantage of a visa so you can stay somewhere longer than three months is is certainly the first step, I would say, if that's possible for you. I mean, visas do make traveling a little bit tricky, but I think also if, if there's an opportunity or if there's something that's really calling your name to go somewhere, there's just... There's nothing worse that could like there's nothing bad that can happen from making a decision like that, you know, so it's kind of like just take the plunge and do it. I think, you know, a lot of people will want to have a certain amount of money and, and things like that. And well, I think it would be important to have a job lined up as long as you're willing to hustle and kind of go for it. There's nothing that should be holding you back. I love that. Um, Really good tips. And aside from using Instagram as a platform to connect with people, Mm. like did you use like did you have any other means for meeting people? Not really. I'd kind of looked at a few meetup groups, but nothing was really calling me even like they aren't really a big workout culture at all. So usually I would go to like a Pilates class or do something like that. But they don't they don't do that there. So really, it was putting myself out there when I got an invite to go to, you know, a drinks thing or a gathering I would always take the opportunities of going out to meet new people and I feel that that really helped solidify some of the friendships I really made in Paris so Instagram like I said definitely was a vehicle for that but nowadays if that's not an opportunity I also think reaching out to Facebook like we have you know it's it's like not even a six degree of separation anymore it's oh just yeah such it's crazy like a, like a three degree. So I feel that you put it out there to the world that you're like, I'm going to move. If anyone knows anyone in XYZ city, I'd love to connect with them. And then really from there, it's up to you to make that effort and put yourself out there, put yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, yeah, maybe it is a meetup group. Maybe it is, you know, a pottery class or, you know, in countries that aren't Paris, a workout class, things like that to really just find like-minded people that are doing the same kind of thing as you. And you just, you honestly just have to keep following up to build those relationships and to build that foundation. Because I think a lot of people would use that as a barrier of being like, oh, I don't want to start over again. And how am I going to meet new people and everything? And that's going to be the same case, whether you're 25 or you're 35, you're always going to have to meet new people and create a network. So definitely have to put yourself out there. Yeah. I love that. It's it's a really good tip. And Mm. definitely like, I think like people talk about making friends as an adult and like Mm. how hard it is. But personally, like I know people struggle with it, but for me, like I've always been like pretty open and Mm -hmm. I always somehow end up meeting people wherever I go. So I think like, it's just about like being open and kind of attracting those connections. Definitely. And I also think as you get older, you're not willing to put up with bullshit, you know? So you're like, Oh, I, I don't even really like hanging out with that person. So you're not going to do it. Whereas I don't know, maybe when you're younger, you're doing it because you feel like you have to, or you've been friends with them for so long. And yeah, I think it's really about finding those people who are really part of your kind of inner clan inner circle and just sticking to them. Totally. Okay. So tell me about how you started Savile Row. So you had all this freelancing stuff Mm -hmm. going, like how did it kind of take form? Yeah. So I was freelancing. And I think from there, when I realized that I had the opportunity to go wild with this, because nothing was holding me back, I didn't have a job that I couldn't focus on Sable Row. So I did a photo shoot. I got some lifestyle photos done. I shot some of, at the time I had done like a lot of random wedding stationery and things like that. So I had all of those shots. So I had samples of like my portfolio per se, and I put it on a Squarespace website and I launched with that. And so for me, I then again, used Facebook as a vehicle to say, all right, open for business, introducing Sable Row. Here's what I'm up to, blah, blah, blah. And I did have 
a strong network in Toronto before I left. So from that, I had a few people reach out to me and wanted to do, you know, have me on doing little things for their businesses. And it kind of just honestly took shape from there. And I would equate that to having a strong network. And again, putting it out there, letting people know what you're up to. Doesn't matter if you've changed jobs and you're now a real estate agent. Like you need to share what you're up to with the people who are in your life because you never know who's going to be there to help you. And so having done that and just kind of whipped up this website and put it out there, the clients slowly started trickling in. But again, a few of them were either friends that were starting businesses or um, people that I knew from before that were having me on do design work. And I think in a service-based business, even a product-based business, if you're just starting out and you, you might know this as well, like you might have to give free things away, you know, to get the word out and to get people talking about you and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. So even if you are even charging less than you usually would just so that people are, you know, you're getting more pieces for your portfolio and people are using you and you're, they're spreading the word. I think there's a lot of importance in that. And I had a conversation with a good friend the other day and we were just talking about the power of generosity. I mean, you're not giving things away for free. I mean, yeah, you're kind of expecting something back from it, but it's also being generous with your time and your products and the business that you're trying to create, you know, and I think a lot of people gravitate towards that. Also, I was very intentional with who I reached out to and who I did business with. They were people I would want to do business with and I really felt a connection. So I, you know, the work that I did, I was proud of it and I would put it in my portfolio. At the beginning, you might need to start off and do things that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, showcase and, and just to get the money if that's what you're trying to do to build the sort of business at first. But it's really important to stick to that purpose and to stick to that initial sort of reason why. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So like you obviously you got your first few clients just through like word of mouth, yeah. obviously, like, you know, tapping into that network, which is, mm -hmm. again, like why it's important to have like a good network. Yeah. But from there, was it just like more word of mouth or mm. did you do like anything else? It was it was honestly all word of mouth and it was just relationship building. I think for me, one of the strongest things that I've been able to do is maintain those connections and check in with them. I think, I think Instagram makes it really easy now to keep in touch with people. Totally. So I just, I'm invested in my clients. I'm invested in the success of their businesses. That is what I'm, you know, I'm really genuinely interested in. So I would follow up with them if I saw they won an award or, you know, launched another product. So I think the, there's a lot of power in building those relationships to maintain that consistency. And every, every project we've ever taken on, it's all been referral or word of mouth. So I think there's still such a power in that, especially these days, like the marketplace is so saturated with things. Like you go to Google and you're like graphic designer, go, you, you'll, you'll get Fiverr, you'll get, you know, Upwork, then you'll get people in. It's just not, you're not getting it from the source and you're not, you don't even know if it's a trusted person to work with. So these days people are going to their direct network. They're, they're reaching out on Facebook or on Instagram and being like, Hey, does that, do I know anyone who does this or anyone have any recommendations for me? So just never, um, the power of word of mouth is just so, so strong and never doubt that. It is. And also I feel like, you know, if we, if we think about the word like influencer, quote unquote, right, it's mm -hmm. not just some random person you see on the internet. Like if I'm looking to get something done, I'll ask like my best friend or like a friend of a friend. And that's how I'm being influenced to figure out like who I want to totally. hire, like what I want to buy, you yeah. know? So I think it's really interesting as well. So. Yeah. I mean, I think even our parents were influencers. Oh think my of it God. like My you know? mom is the biggest influencer. Yeah, totally. Kidding? Totally. I think we all are in some way. And I think we also don't give ourselves enough credit for that. 
that is like even if we influence the decision of one person I mean the amount of times I'm wearing jeans right now and one of my friends were like oh where did you get them and she went and bought them the next day so you know it's such a small little source but you know there's just so much in maintaining those relationships and obviously like doing the work and being credible for it I think really pays tribute to that as well yeah definitely like great points and yeah super important to like work hard but at the same time like go above and beyond for like the projects that you take on I feel definitely because it shows yeah oh absolutely absolutely so what I admire about you so much is that you've gone about designing a life that works for you and like you've been intentional and I think like yeah it's just one of those things like I see the sort of brand you've created sort of life you've created and I think like it's something that you have intentionally mm-hmm. created just didn't fall into your lap. You yeah. Know? So what are some tips you have for people who are like looking to do the same, who don't want to necessarily settle and like be miserable going to the office every day or like if they are in a position where they're not their happiest? Mm-hmm. I think the important thing to remember is if you are in a full time job and you're not really loving the direction have a reflection time with yourself and figure out what it is that you really love doing and that really lights a fire within you. Might even be a time to journal, you know, if it's that kind of case. I always love saying like, take yourself to a cafe or out to a park and bring your notebook and just reflect on what really lights your fire because it all stems from that. If you're not in your purpose and if you are doing something that is not fueling you and you feel no passion from then it's quite obvious you're not doing what you should be doing so it's really important to find something that really ignites you know that little spark inside to really follow that forward and I mean again the only way to really do that is that self-reflection but also knowing that anything you dream up is possible there are no limits to what you want to do with your life or what is possible for you. I think a lot of times we get stuck with like, oh, I don't know how to do this or that means I'm going to have to go back to school or things like that. We put up these instant barriers without even thinking through what this situation could look like for ourselves. So in order to design your own life, you need to have somewhat of a clear picture of like what what it would take to get you there. And I even like big dreaming of saying, you know, maybe one day I want to own an apartment in Paris and I want to make sure that, you know, I have a house here and dreaming big can help you put everything on the map and you're sort of manifesting it. But you can also then work out ways to get yourself there. It's like a work back schedule for for those analytical people, you know, being able to see the end goal and then find ways to make that work really helps pave the way. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm big on manifesting. Yeah. And I feel like so many times, like, we just ignore our gut instinct. And like you were saying with Paris, for totally. example, like, if you'd sat there and thought about it for too long, maybe you wouldn't have done it. And I think it's so great that you just followed that like gut instinct and just did it and from there you know off you went yeah totally and I remember before I left my dad was like what's the worst that can happen Rochelle you have to come home like you spend all your money and you have to come home is that really the worst thing that could happen and when he put it into perspective like that I mean to be honest, like the worst case in any situation would be death. <laughs> Are you going to die from going somewhere? No, you it's know. True. So it's like, just be real with yourself on the decision you want to make and the direction you want to take. And if you are in a nine to five job and there's something you could do on the side to try and build that up while you are still being employed and making money and you know, you, you'll never be ready to take the plunge, but at least if you can get yourself semi-established into this next phase, then that kind of gives you the foundations good tips 
Yeah. Okay, so switching directions a little bit, I want to talk about Lucy. So Lucy is a small business owner. Hey, and Lucy. Yeah, <laughs> Lucy, is, Lucy is super excited for this consultation. So Lucy wants to nail down her social media strategy. What are a few tips that you can give her? Ooh, this one's a good one. Strategy is obviously going to be different for any business that you're in. I think it's really important to consider who you're even targeting in the first place. So if I were to give any advice to anyone is to nail that down, is to really define who that person is, just like we're doing with Lucy, and getting to know them because it makes your social media strategy so much easier to follow, especially if you have that name in mind, exactly like we are doing with Lucy. Give your target audience a name. How old are they? Do they have a family? Where would they like to travel? Are they someone who wears Lululemons but has a Gucci handbag? You know, do they mix highs and lows? Then that way you're able to target your strategy to your target market. And without fail, that is honestly just like a tried and tested tip that works every single time. If you know who you're marketing to, then you know who you are communicating to. I love that. It's a it's a really solid tip and it's mm. so true. Like And even, it's short and sweet. It does it's mm-hmm. not complicated. It's literally like know who you even need to target and your strategy starts from there. And I don't think that this is just limited to small business owners. I feel mm-hmm. like if if you have like a blog or you know, your business is social media, like you should yeah. be knowing your audience. Like you should yeah. have a name for her or him and know yeah. everything about them. Totally. I think the blog's important as well because you're essentially writing to your audience. And if you can pinpoint that to one person, then you're like, hey, girl, you know exactly who she is. Yeah, totally. So I want to talk about Facebook ads um, because I'm sure like small business owners or even large business owners, Mm -hmm. like it's an important part of anyone's business. So I was wondering if you could give us a mini lesson. Yeah, I mean, my experience in Facebook ads aren't too extensive because I don't even do them for my business Mm -hmm. only because I do a lot with um, Google and SEO and then following through on that lovely word of mouth. Yeah. But what the what's great about Facebook is it's so integrated these days. You get the most incredible insights into who you are reaching and who you can reach. So your audience can be very, very focused and direct. I think a lot of times people try and overly complicate things. So that even can be in terms of the creative that you use on Facebook comes down to the target market. Who are we actually trying to reach? And then from there, you can start to put something together that actually targets and hits the right people. The best thing about it is it is tailored. So you would have it only appear on the people who would be likely to engage with your product or service. I think that's a really underutilized tool. Facebook ads aren't for everyone. And I, you know, I see so many people like uh, I was watching a video and someone was making like $100,000 a month on Facebook ads, well, selling products through Facebook ads, and they were selling like a plastic sewing machine, like a travel sewing machine. I'm not kidding. My jaw is on the rack. Yeah, I know. And so it's, you know, it's different because they were putting maybe like $100 into Facebook ads. I know companies putting like $100,000 into Facebook ads a month because it's turning them over such a return. So it definitely, it's not for everyone. So I don't want you to get this idea that you're going to go and make so much money from it. But I think the ability to reach a very finite targeted audience is super powerful within the Facebook, even the Instagram um, ad community. Honestly, it's just at the end of the day about pinpointing who your audience is. That's what it comes down to time and time again. And sometimes that is the just is so overlooked because if you don't have that, you just don't you're just shooting things into the air like and hoping something sticks. You know, it's true. It's so true. So Lucy, getting back to her, also wants to refine her brand messaging. Could you give her a couple of pieces of advice 
okay. Be concise. I think that's the thing is even even our website, we're in the process of redoing it at the moment. And we had this long like run on Sable Row is this, that, and the other thing. No one cares what you are. They want to know how you're going to help them. So if you can be more concise, like if, if um, an event planning company, for example, we don't want to know that you are the top rated event planning agency in the city because that means nothing. We want to know how you've been able to transform ideas into unforgettable events that leave your brand being the talk of the town. That is an emotional connection that you've then just made with your ideal audience. And it says so much more than just literally telling them what you do. So I think being intentional about the messaging that you're that you're saying and what you're saying about your brand, because it's more about why you do what you do than what you even do. I love that. That's actually... It's so important. It like, is. It is yeah. so important to talk about what you can provide to your audience as opposed to like yeah. who you are and like your accolades. Like and people I think care a lot can, less. Exactly. And I think this can apply to even Instagram captions. We tend to just overly like just overdo it. We write all these things and whether people are still hanging on at the last sentence, you know, you have like a 10 paragraph <laughs> Instagram caption or not or, or blog post. We just we want the information and we want it delivered to us in a way that's easy to digest and doesn't ha- leave us having to do all the work. And so if you're looking to do um, refresh your brand and kind of have a different brand messaging, it's just keeping it so sweet and simple. I love that. Yep, it's it's honestly like the the best piece of advice. I yeah, would say. definitely. So, how do you go about building a strong team? Oh, this is a good one. And honestly, my answer now might be so different in eight to ten months. So, I'm slowly building my team now. I'm about ninety nine percent positive. I do not want a big team. The reason being. It's freaking hard. I don't even like managing people is very difficult. It is not my strong suit at all. So it's taken a massive toll on me to just be a good leader. I've always been a natural leader. I will say that through and through. I've always been the person who likes to set great examples, but would organize things. And, you know, I really I'm very inclusive in that way as well. So naturally, I'm a I'm a leader, but leading a team in your own business when so much is riding on it is a completely different thing. I've recently been building my team this year and my mentor once told me, hire slow, fire fast. And that piece of advice stuck with me. The process, right? The process takes so long to find someone who ultimately is a good fit for your brand. And it really took me back to when I was interviewing for jobs and I would go in and I'd be so nervous, like just say the right thing and all this. And at the end of the day, I think they actually have almost like a preconceived notion of you before you even step in, or you don't really realize maybe how awkward you come across in an interview or how, you know, how confident you do. And people are gravitated towards that energy. So if you walk in and you're fiddling and you're not you're looking at everywhere else other than the interviewer, like they're going to pick up on that regardless of what your skills are. So yes, you need to have the skills to do the job, but I feel like honestly, it's probably 70% culture and company fit and 30% skills. And that's what I find because as long as I know that you have a good eye for design and it's quite obvious that you can execute, 
I need you to fit within my team and the brand more than anything else. I can teach you more specifics. I can mentor you on that kind of side of things. So it's really about finding um, the right fit. And our project manager, gosh, I love her. So shout out to Lindsay. She is just such a, when I first met her too, she just came in and she was radiant and she was just so friendly and she knew what she was talking about. And she just came across like, just the perfect fit, like I said. And so honestly, it was more about who she was than what she could do. And I knew what she could do for us in that end, but she was so much more of a culture fit than anything else. And I just felt so right about that decision. And it's like, I've not looked back. And so I feel that culture is just number one when you're building a team because they need to, at the end of the day, and and I'll just add this one more piece of advice. um, My partner said to me, make sure this is someone you'd want to go for a drink with at the end of the day. So now whenever I'm interviewing, I'm like, would I go for a wine with you after work? You know, because that's a guiding, that's a guiding post there. It's like, can you spend an hour with someone outside of the office and talk about things that aren't work? Well, also you're spending all of this time with someone. All of it. You better get along with them. You know, and it's what you're saying. It actually hits the nail on the head because Mm. the thing is that like, as long as you have basic technical skills, like you can pick up other skills. Like it's just like and you, you have the to. eye for it. Exactly. Yeah, that's how you grow. But culture fit is so mm-hmm. important. Like I think it just makes or breaks like the the company in and of itself. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And like even like having worked like as an employee, like you feel that when it's like a strong like work culture and like people are all aligned, like, you know, they're all fired up together as opposed to like toxic work culture you know what I mean oh yeah and that's often what happens if you have especially in bigger companies you're hiring for the wrong reason so you end up having people in your company who are not a culture fit and they don't get along with each other because their values aren't the same yeah too focused on can you do this job correctly can you bring us in these sales you know when that's not necessarily the thing we should be focusing on it's also nice that you you want to keep that boutique feel because you can nurture that sort of feeling which is awesome I would never step away from still being a pinpoint in the conversation with, you know, through different touch points throughout the way. I don't want to lose that at all. So I think having a small but mighty team is definitely the future for Sable Row. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I know you are all about productivity and as am I. So (laughs) share three of your best productivity tips. Ooh. Okay. So one thing that I've been doing that I found really, really helpful is actually tracking my time on a task. So we have a project management software that we track all of our time through. But even before I had that, I was just using a free one or you can use the time um, clock on your on your phone. But giving yourself a designated time to do a task or break it up in like 60 to 90 minute slots has been so helpful in keeping on track with things. You a, you get things done, I think, quicker than you anticipate. You're like, oh, this is going to take me so long. And then you, at the end of it, you're like, oh, that was only 45 minutes. It keeps you accountable for the tasks that you have to do. And then you can reward yourself after. If you're like, if you get this one task done and get it done on time, then go for a walk or like go for a coffee. And I feel like you're almost yeah convincing yourself to do the work. Yeah, you know? totally. Definitely. So timing has been big. Um, scheduling things like... Um, Instagram posts. So using a tool like Planoly, I use Planoly. Being able to plan that and have that sorted in the business just get, takes one thing off your plate that you just don't even have to worry about. And I love that um, that quote. What is it? Fail to fail pr- to, to plan. Pr- plan. No, and- no. Pl- 
What is that? Fail to plan, plan to fail. Is that yes, the one? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't have a plan, you will fail. You can get sidetracked. You're just like, you sit down in front of your desk and you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do right now. So I always like to make sure that the studio schedule is all set. So I always know each day what needs to get done. And then also for things like social media, it's all planned and it either auto posts or I manually post it, but it reminds me. So I think um, between the timing, the planning, and then honestly, just having the work balance, like condensing our work days. We've condensed them down to three days a week now. Monday, Friday, we're at home and doing like admin stuff. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is in office. And honestly, you get so much more done. If you break it down into smaller chunks, you do not need to be sitting at your desk from nine to five, five days a week. I promise you, you're probably more productive if you actually just focus on those few hours of getting work done. It is so true. So I was at a, um, a dinner event with Kendra Scott, like the jewelry designer. Yeah. And she was like, one of the things that I've strongly believed in is, why do people need to stay at the office just to show face? I you know? hate that. It's so stupid. Yeah. Like if you're done your work and if you can do it in X number, X amount of time, like why linger? I know. Where you have like, I don't know, tabs open for like other things. Like yeah. it's so stupid. I know. And I remember that working in like in um, advertising and things like that as well. Like the president used to walk around in the morning end at night just to see which bums were in the seats and to me that just I don't know I just don't really feel the value in that and I think especially now being in a position where I run my own business I want to empower others to lead that same kind of way that like I don't care what happens between these hours as long as the projects get done they're done incredibly well and our clients are happy that's to me if you do that in one day in three hours and you're like I actually have nothing else to do today cool go enjoy the rest of your day like I don't need you to sit here just for optics that means nothing and it's it's more motivating that way and it's also more efficient Mm -hmm. like who on earth can work 16 hour 12 hour days forever I don't even know I like uh, mornings are my time to work totally I'm way more creative in the morning and that's even me start I could start at seven in the morning but by like 12 one o'clock I'm done and that's even if I started at 10 I'd be like ah two hours today that's it I just don't function in the afternoons at all or afternoon would be a good time for emails or any sort of like admin stuff but I'm not creative in the afternoon and I have like a five to six hour window where I actually can get things done otherwise don't even ask anything of me (laughs) I think it's like it's so great that you say that though because like as a business owner Mm -hmm. here you are like thriving but you've done it on your own terms and conditions and you've not had to kill yourself working in order to get to where you are which is amazing yeah I mean there's definitely moments that I have burnt out but I was also doing a lot and not recognizing when I actually needed the help and I think that's also where the team building came in is because for so long I was doing it on my own and I was burning myself out like I wasn't I, I don't think there's been a time I guess early early days that I would have been working like 12 14 hour days but it didn't really seem like a that long and it's not that I I definitely didn't hate it again because I think I was doing it for myself yeah but um yeah that I think that also goes down to designing your life you know designing it with intention what are those hours that you want to work what mm-hmm. would be a happy balance maybe you have a small family or maybe you have other obligations that you want to get done it's not all about work all the time yes it's about fitting what you do and obviously being passionate about what you do but then enjoying other things like going out going for Pilates or I recently started doing pottery which I love so I'll make time to do that once a week and that's time that I then can you know take for myself but it's also fueling the creativity that I have in my work I love that such honestly like so valuable and I feel like everyone needs to hear Mm -hmm. it everyone okay so I know you love mornings so do I and I'm like 
the nosiest person ever when it comes to morning routines. Yeah. So tell me about yours. Uh, well, I would also just like to say I'm envious of your morning routine and like all <laughs> your skincare and everything. I'm like, uh, moisturizer, <laughs> wash my face, moisturizer. Let's go. Um, my morning routines, honestly, the last few months have been so different than ever before. We recently got a dog earlier this year and she has been like totally changing our life upside down, but we do morning walks now with her. And the good thing about her is she's not someone who wakes up at six in the morning and needs a walk right away. So if she does need to sleep in. That's fine. I'm usually up around five 30. I'm at the gym from six till seven and come home, walk the dog, and then pretty much get ready right away and head to the office. If those are my three office days, otherwise I'm just working from home. My work from home days are definitely more leisurely, but for me, in the mornings, I have to get dressed. I'm not someone who would go and sit in gym clothes for the rest of the day. I need to get dressed like hair, makeup, everything. Um, because I just feel more productive that way. I feel like I'm actually a grown up. Uh, (laughs) I honestly, like if there's one piece of advice I can give to people who are like more freelancers Mm. or like work for themselves, like this is it. I think it just puts you in like a mindset and it's like, I don't know. It so does. And also just having that routine, you know, and I'm, I really want to get better with my routines. I think even my nighttime routines, I want to get more, um, just better with in terms of like shutting, shutting off and not doing any work or not looking at my phone. Um, try and do like lemon water in the morning, but honestly, it's very, very basic. Usually I'm just trying to, I really make health a priority. So I really try and, um, do a workout first thing in the morning, get that going. And then I sort of just dive in. I like that though, because even for me, I feel like if the workout is done like first of all I don't know my my hormones are like in a better place yeah. I'm like more energetic and I'm just ready yeah also this is a weird one but like I have to make my bed in the morning I don't know there's some people who just like roll out of bed and then they leave the room I have to have the whole bed situation made before I leave it changes your day though. it honestly like, does it, it changes the trajectory of your day so like I recently redid my bedroom I know I saw those photos and they looked I'm just so shocked that that was your room before <laughs> it was it was bad. So yeah. like, obviously, you know, like once I did my bedroom, like I, I started making the bed and I was like, what the hell? Like it just changes the way you're approaching the day. You're like, it I honestly don't know. does. I think it puts you in a more productive mindset. Like mm-hmm. it's a hack. I don't well, know. If anything, they actually teach you that in the army, that that's the very first thing you do when you get up. And if anything, you've already accomplished one win. So if you think of it that way, it's like making your bed is not a chore. It's like, it's actually a win. You just won making your bed, making your space clean because we're such products of our environment, you know? So I cannot be, I could not be working from home and have like dirty dishes in the sink and things like that. Like my workspace needs to be super clean. And I think it's like clean visually. It's like clean in your head as yeah. well. Yeah. Such, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, everyone make your bed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Before we wrap, tell everyone where they can find you. Ooh, they can find me at Savile Row. So S-A-E-V-I-L-R on Instagram and our website is savilroad.co so .co amazing thank you thank you wait do you want to receive a short email from me with exclusive content every week sign up to the icing and glitter newsletter and I'll send you my top five skincare secrets along with a weekly email with bite-sized tips and tricks giveaways recipes and so much more I'll leave the details in the show notes